we stop now, Father, um, to talk about a very uh, important topic that that we love to do, but it's also we just we have a lot of baggage, uh, and it's it's hard to think about, and it's hard to do, and I just pray that you would. Holy Spirit, give me words to say that would be helpful, um, and that you would bless the the study, the preparation, the writing, and the delivering of sermons and talks, and just just talking about your word, and that we would we would use it so people would see Jesus, and we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, guys. Um, so this is Christ. I'm sorry, like oh, that's all the stuff up. Okay, um, my name is Richie Sessions. Uh, I saw some of you yesterday. My name is Richie Sessions. I am the RUF campus minister at Vanderbilt. Um, I've been a part of RYM since 2002, uh, way back in the day. Uh, not as long as Joey or Stone, but or less, uh, but pretty pretty far back. And. Um, I, l- I love getting to do this leadership training because I get to talk about preaching and teaching. A little story about me before we start, because we'll have like four points in the whole thing, and I hope I really want to have time for questions and all that. I was in my Second year of seminary at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. I came to RTS. I was a songwriter in Nashville. And I left, got engaged to the girl that we'd been dating long distance. And long story, she was in Texas. And now I got engaged to Laura. We've been married 18 years. We get engaged. And I start seminary at RTS. And I'd never done RUF in my life. I'd never, like the only PCA church I'd ever been to was Christ Community, and that church was just like, they, I didn't even know it was PCA. It was like that kind of church. Scotty Smith, and he like wore Birkenstocks, and he talked about Jack Miller and all this stuff. And, um, and so I went there, and it was a major culture shock, and it totally freaked me out, and I felt like I was in witness uh, relocation protection services. Like I hope no one would find out that I don't know anything. Like I knew nothing, all caps. Like, um, I knew Reformed, I didn't know what that meant. I, I like sort of knew what it meant, but I didn't know what it meant. Like, I didn't know what the, I didn't know what Reformed Theological Seminary was. I was like, I so shouldn't be here. Someone dropped the ball. So, but it was a weird time in my life, and I was like, I want to go study theology, and I want to, you know, and I thought I'd go back and, and write, keep writing songs. And um, so I'll go through it my first year and I just sort of bracing through it I'm just really freaked out by a lot of stuff um, and then I get to my second year and it's calm one communication one and that is the preaching class I had never ever taught the Bible preached any preaching anything I, I don't guys again I was 25 years old I, I don't know what I was getting into so I didn't, and it was preaching class. And all, some of these guys in my class had like done funerals. 
like he had preached a funeral before. I'm going like, and I had to preach a sermon. And all these guys had done RUF, and they're like quoting John Calvin's footnotes. They're just, it's very intimidating. I just I want, I can, do y'all feel how scary that is? Y'all feel that? I'm feeling it right now again. And I tell my wife, I was like, hey, look, I'm not going to do this, M, I'm not going to do the MDF. I'm going to do the MA, because I don't have to do COM 1. She was like, what's COM 1? I was like, you have to preach. I ain't preaching, these guys are jerks and they're scary and I'm not doing that. She was like, and like she's done so much in my life, she was like, okay, okay, well, Richie, just like give it a shot. Like just try it. Don't just like run away. And I was like, okay. So I did it, and I, I spent like seven hours on a 10-minute gospel presentation. Because I was like, this, because I'm not going to say something heretical. So I worked so, so hard on it. I did it. I got up there. I don't remember what I said. Was it from Ephesians 2? And I just sort of, after I finished, I just remember, I just like, I just want to go sit down. I just want to go sit down. And I want to sit down, and I want to, like, can I can I become vaporized? Is that possible? Is that an option? I just want to disappear. And I remember my, my professor, Dr. David Justly, looked at me and he said, you know, you have a gift for communicating. He said nothing about the content of what I said. But he was like, and that little thing sort of kept me interested in it. The reason I tell you that story is I don't know what I was doing, and I kind of don't anymore. I just love Jesus. I really say, I, I, I really love, and I'm amazed by him. And the Bible, and I think that's why people, I think that's why some people like me to preach, teach to them. Because I'm kind of amazed by this thing we're doing. Talking about the Bible. And... I say that to encourage you, like, you don't have to have a bunch of experience. You kind of don't have to, like, know everything. You just, well, here's the thing that you need. You need to love God and be growing deeper in your relationship to him. We're going to talk about that today. It's really, here's the thing. It's really about an overflow of your personal time with God. Now there are things that you can learn. I can't teach you how to. I can't teach you how to teach or preach, but like I can give you some basic structure. So we're gonna look at four things today that I think will be helpful. Like if I were gonna sit and listen to someone talk to me about preaching, or teaching Christ-centered preaching. Um, I just want to say, like I really am one of you. Maybe at golf cart speed, right? Um, that I didn't have this. I don't have a pedigree like a reformed pedigree, like, and I don't, I, that, that's okay. You need, what you need is like a love for Christ and a desire for people to know him and kind of get out of the way. So we'll get four things. First, we're going to look at the big picture. We're going to look at the personal part of preaching and teaching. Third, we're going to look at the art of listening to people. And then four, proclaiming. What does it mean to proclaim? The fourth one is like when I actually talk about sort of how I write a talk or a sermon. But the first three are super important. Someone read for me Luke chapter 24, 25 through 29. 
Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was, I, and it was awkward. I was going to interrupt you. I'm sorry. What's the, it's really, really important that you start as a premise because what you build on a premise, if it's not on the right premise, everything you build on that, on a, on a, everything you build on a wrong premise is wrong. So what's the right premise to start talking about Christ-centered preaching? What's the right way to start it? You have to see the, the big picture of what God is doing in the world through Jesus. I mean, the big picture. Like what Jesus is talking about with these two guys on the road to Emmaus. He's opening up the scriptures and he's saying like, this is what the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, are all about me. History is all about me. I am the fulfillment of all the promises, of every single one of the promises, all the sacrificial promises, Jesus is like, me, right? The fulfillment of the law, me. The, the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent, boom, me. He's like going around and he's like, he's looking at the Old Testament and, and all the promises that are lighting up, boom, boom. He's like pushing every single button, every single one. He's, here's what he's saying. I am the center of reality. I am the hero of heroes. I am, I am the way back to paradise. I am the one who will bring the new heavens and new earth. I am the king of the universe. I am all that matters. I am the center of everything that will ever be. I'm the alpha and the omega. And it's a, he's the big picture. Like, he is what every single myth is ultimately about, right? He's what every hero movie is ultimately about. And every longing inside of every human heart is ultimately about. And there has to be a recovery of wonder. I believe this. A recovery of, doesn't matter if you're creative or not creative. A recovery of wonder about who Jesus of Nazareth is. Because if you are not full of wonder about Jesus, no one else is. You cannot give what you don't have. I'm not saying you have to be like a spaz like me. But if, if you are not captivated... By the beauty of Jesus Christ, you cannot communicate the beauty of Jesus Christ. That's the big picture. That's where you find it in literature. You know, like my favorite, my favorite one is that the man who was Thursday by G.K. Chesterton. There's this point where Syme, who's the main character in the book, he steps in this crowd and he says, Shall I tell you the whole secret of the world? That we've only seen the back of the world. That's not a cloud. That's the back of a cloud. That's not a tree. That's the back of a tree. Can't you see that the whole world is stooping and hiding its face? If we could only get round front. That's what every good book, every good movie, every good song, they're all what Lewis calls echoes of Eden. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the actual space, time, and history, name, and date with an address, the actual fulfillment of the greatest longings. Get, we get round front. It's what Lewis called the Echo of Eden, but it's also the great German word, Sehnsucht. The great German word, Sehnsucht, is, it is my favorite word. 
it means a piercing longing for something that you cannot quite define. One writer calls it the, the way that the purple-blue flower looks to him. It's the way the Emerald City looked to me the first time I saw it on The Wizard of Oz and how it made me, like, my, my soul felt effervescent when I saw it. Here's the thing. You want paradise. You want a world that works, and that's who Jesus is. And the big picture from Genesis to Revelation is a fulfillment of not just biblical or religious truth, but human longing. Zenzucht. And if you could tap into Zenzucht, like Steven Spielberg does, you know the way that dude uses light? You know it's a Spielberg. When you're looking at the movie, it's like, this is special. Tune in. We're watching Goonies and E.T. and something is happening inside of me. What are those colors? Why is this happening? What that is is inside of you. It's the child that you think you've grown up over. It's your soul longing for beauty. Zenzucht. Here's the thing. That's why I love to preach. And that's why I love to write songs. And that's why I love beautiful things. I am a curator of Zenzucht. I like find beautiful things and I want to keep them all because I believe they're all just little shards off the great beautiful triune God. And one day we will get around front and we'll see all of it. Do you see that? And so Jesus is walking with these guys and they think he's dead and he's walking and they think he's this stranger, and he's blowing their mind with the best Bible study that's ever happened on the face of the earth, and they're walking, and then he sits there, and then he goes, he, they, go home, they go to his house, he goes to their house, and he breaks bread. Here's this beautiful thing. He breaks bread, and they realize it was like, uh-huh. And then he disappears. Mystery. Zanzult. There it is. But he's alive. And then it says, did not our hearts burn within us? Okay. Fellow Christian, the gospel must make your heart leap. It must. The story that you're being brought into, to become like a child again when you're looking at the, at the word, You'll become like a child again, like excited that Jesus is going to split the sky one day and he's going to come back and we are going to be, we're going to be brought into something that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, what the Lord has prepared for us, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, and, and, that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Guys, listen to this, that in real time, space, history, the next thing, as Sinclair Ferguson says, on God's celestial calendar is the return of the king. That's why you preach. Because you're telling people, he's coming back. He's coming. He's coming. To a generation of people who are absolutely fixated and, and completely saturated in some of the most sophisticated technology and entertainment that the world, the world has ever known. Your students, the access they have to it. Show them that Jesus is the true hero. That's the big picture. That's the big picture. Got to have it. 
Got to have it. Let's look to the second point. Like I could talk, about, literally could talk about that. That's like, that literally is like why I'm on the planet to talk about that. To talk about Zenzukt in sermons and songs. That's what I do. So the second thing is, which is related to it, it's your personal devouring of the gospel. Always in the word, especially in the gospels. Walk with Jesus through the gospels. Look at those little stories. Camp out for days, weeks, months. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. What's the rush? Camp out. Why are you in such a rush, right? Camp out on your favorite stories in the Gospels. Pick them apart. Read every single translation. Nerd out on the Gospels. And think about, like, the little things Jesus does. Like when he's at the widow at Nain. And it says he feels compassion for her. And the word for compassion, he's just like, oh. It like means, you're, it means like getting punched in the guts. And when Jesus, would, when it said he could tell, like he, he showed compassion or he had him physically, it means he saw something and he just went, oh, oh my. That's what that word means. And then, he, and then he stops and he walks up to the middle of a funeral. They're all walking in this funeral. And they, they have this kid on a, on a beer. You know, B-I-E-R, right? It's just like a bed, and they're walking, and they're all crying. And, and they were all crying, and they would hire professional mourners, and everyone's losing their minds because this is a, a widow's only son, which means she's lost everything. Like, in that world, she's, she's toast. She's lost every. She's like the saddest woman in the world. And Jesus stops. He's on his way to somewhere else. And he stops. And he says, don't cry. Don't, don't cry. And he touches this kid. He touches this kid. And he wakes up, and it says, and this is because I nerded out on the story. He says, and, and then Jesus gave the, 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 the boy, the man, back to his mother. Like, he was like, in other words, like, he was just like, look, look, look. Camp out. You can do that. You don't have to be a spaz to do that. I'm a spaz, but you don't have to be. Like, but you've got you to, gotta, like, Learn to stay in the word and devour the word and put yourself in the word and just realize how wonderful he is. How kind he is. There's no one like him. And then as you're reading the word, and then as you're reading the word, you start talking to him about it. Like, hey, this is, the, this is prayer. And this is the one we feel most guilty about. Right? I mean, I, I, we like read something like that and we go, dear father, thou hast, uh, <laughs> we become like totally not ourselves. We feel really weird because we're like really sinful and messed up and we like, we believe and we don't believe in all these things. And so like when Jesus says, come to me like a child, you know what that means? Just go like, are you like that now for me? I, you're awesome, sir. Like, how do you actually talk? How does your heart talk? I mean, maybe it's a question. Do you even know how your heart talks? Have you used your brain to manage your heart for so long? It's okay. For so long that you've forgotten how your child heart talks, how you talk. 
hey, I'm so scared. I'm so messed up. I did something really bad. I love you so much. That's the ministry of the Spirit through prayer in your personal life. Is All you're doing is you're relating to the man who's in that book. Who does stuff like the widow in Nain. For you. I know it's weird. It's weird. But it's real. And it's real because of the ministry of the Spirit in you. And the language of dependence going like, I've got to write this... God, I've got to write this thing. I don't even know what to say. I'm so scared of that elder and his wife. They, they're really scary when they come in and I, and I, and, and I teach. And, and they really are intimidating because they told me I don't use enough reform buzzwords. And, 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 and I don't know. I don't know any reform buzzwords. Or I don't know how to use them. And I just don't know what to do. Will you help me? Here's the thing. It means who's read Michael Reeves uh, enjoying your prayer life? Re- required reading. Um, Go read that. Did I, Ken, did I tell you to get Michael Reeves, Enjoy Your Prayer Life? Did I, I didn't tell you to get that one, did I? You have it? Best thing ever. Best book on prayer. It's like a pamphlet. You don't have an excuse. Like it's, because where's what he's saying? And he actually quotes Calvin. He says, when we pray, we pray through the mouth of Jesus. That's what it means to be in union with Jesus. He loves you. All of you. Not part of you, even the parts you want to hide. So you're devouring the word, you're nerding out on it, you're slowing down, you're meditating on it like a kid obsessed with Zenzuk, and then you're praying like you actually talk. I haven't even talked about writing a sermon yet. That's kind of the easy part then. And here's the third thing about before we move on to the third point. Friends. I didn't know how to make friends. And this is true of a lot of guys. I didn't, I didn't know what a real friend, like real friends were until I was in my, my 30s. And that, that maybe that, that's on me. That's because I had so much shame and like I didn't know. I just I didn't know anything. Like, and so like I had a friend look at me one day and go, like, hey, I don't know how to be friends with you. I literally did that. I went, I don't have conversations like this with other guys. Like, he said, I don't know how to be friends with you. Like, we go on these long runs, and like, you tell me, like, I tell you all about my life, and you're encouraging me, because I was blowing his mind. I was like, I was blowing his mind, right? Because I was so encouraging and so pastoral. And then he'd ask me about my life, and I was like, yep, 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 yes, 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 next. Like, I would, I didn't know, here's the thing, I didn't know how to be honest with God. I didn't know how to be honest with him. I was too scared. Really scary. But you can't change on your own. Guys, I know that sucks. Men, I know it sucks. But as Chip Dodd says, your ability to grow is directly linked to your ability to ask for help from your friend. And the ministry of Christ, the friendship of Christ, where Jesus says, you are my friends now, right? He says that. The The friendship of Jesus is an abstraction until you have real friends. I'm not shaming you. I'm not hating on you. But I'm saying, it, what does it look like for you to sit shoulder to shoulder and join the human race? It will affect your prayer life. It'll be, it feels so good just to, be, just to be a human because those are the only people Jesus hung out with. <laughs> like, think about this, y'all. The people that killed Jesus are the ones who are most invested in their false self. The people that love Jesus 
were the ones who were absolutely broken, who were just like, bread, please. Those were his people. But the people who had the most to lose were the most invested in a false self. And that's what this process of preaching and ministry, one of the things it could do, it's going to kill the fake you. It's okay. It hurts. He's going to screech like crazy. But the way that happens is in devouring the word. It's in your prayer life where you're quiet. You shut up. You get, you, you're silent with him. You feel, you embrace the awkwardness of being in his presence. And then you have some real, real friends. Not an accountability group. I've got opinions on that. But not an accountability group. That is so you managing your image personally. This is about you saying, like, I need someone to see me and not go away. That's what I want. And not just my wife. Because it takes three men to help one man love one woman. And then communion. Jesus makes it so basic. Think about communion. Like, notice communion. Or as uh, Richard Siegel, who was a guy who, who, who was one of my mentors, this, he was a guy who was a Jew, Jewish man from Philadelphia, was an art professor, who was converted later in his life. And I'll never forget what he said to me. Richie, Jesus wants to sup with you. What? Can't you see Richie wants to sup with you? He wants to have a meal with you. That's what communion is, except he's the meal. So you get to eat Zenzu. Drink it. And so when you're, when you're taking, all I'm talking about is a means of grace in a spazzy way. It's the word, it's prayer, it's fellowship, it's sacrament. That's what it is. What is so beautiful is that you're just immersing yourself. Your, your life are the means of grace. You're just throwing yourself, because that's what you're rooting yourself in, and, and, and what you do, what you produce, your fruitfulness, grows from you being rooted in the means of grace. There's not like other life outside of that. Like your ministry, your relationships, your gift mix, all those things are to be products or fruits of you being rooted in eating the word, praying the word, singing the word, drinking the word, being friends in the word. That's your life. That is the most transformational. Your premise is coming from living out of the big picture, you personally. You need to be soaked in the gospel. And so Tuesday night at 5.30 p.m., when you're thinking about the rest of the week and you have that like sick feeling in your stomach you have the king of the world in your in your Honda with you you have the chaos out here and you have union and communion always here and you're moving into the chaos here's the third part I want you to notice, it's, it's actually really important, maybe frustrating to you. I haven't given you one piece of preaching information yet. I will. But I'm, I'm honestly saying, like, this is it. It's like, tip, third, people. P 
people. Becoming a, a good listener, the art of listening to people's stories. And here's what I mean by listening to their stories. Um, Dan Allender talks about what he calls the shattering of shalom. Everyone experiences a memory of shalom, maybe in their childhood. A little echo of Eden, the longing, the things like everything's right. Just for a second, it's gone. They experience that moment, and then they experience a shattering of shalom in their life, in their family, in their own personal lives, in their relationships, a shattering of that shalom. And he says what Christianity is a restoration of shalom. It's a restoration of the shalom. But what is it? It's bringing you back to childlikeness. The, the most mature Christians are the most childlike. That, that's, you know that. And so listening to their stories for when, the sh- when, was, when was the shalom? What was it like being a kid? What, was, what are some of your favorite memories? Get them to talk about the things they love. Not, so you can just like connect, not just so you can connect with them, but so you can hear them articulate and give them words for their experience of shalom. You like to build model airplanes? You're a falconer? You mean like falcons? Yeah. That's weird and awesome, man. Like those birds, you have one? Yes. Like everyone, Allender's saying everyone has a memory of shalom. Tap into it. And here's the second thing. This is how he does his counseling practice, I'm told. Is a moment not only when you taste Eden, a life without sin, tragedy, emptiness, or fear. Helping them recall those moments when it was shattered and understanding when it was shattered. The first time they were bullied and their parents were divorced. Here's the thing. What you're doing is you're getting them to connect their story to God's story. Connecting their story, their heartache, to the Jesus at the widow at Nain who who has gone viral by his spirit. He's on the loose. He's, he's so amazing, he's, like, he's spirit, which means he can go anywhere, anytime. He, like, the guys that, that saw him on the road to Emmaus, like, he was there and he had disappeared because he has a body, like, feet and kneecaps and stuff. And he, he can't be all places at all times. Because God took a body, that's Jesus. But when he was a spirit, he's, like, anywhere all the time. And so getting them to connect their story, that's what you're doing. Listen to those things. Listen to them talk about it. And you get better at it. It's, it's a, it's, what I would say is, it's a way of intentionally listening to people's stories. It's not hard, but here's why it's hard. If you don't know your story, it's really hard to connect theirs. It's really hard to connect to theirs. So it's part of, see, do y'all see the reciprocity between your story and their story? Because this is going to happen. They're going to have sort of an aha, you too, moment you can have with them, even if their stories are totally different, because they're just humans that want to live in the world that works, and they don't. And so helping them put words like, wow, that's re-. and then when they say something like, that's really sad, what does that have to do with preaching? All my preaching is, is just a monologue of my pastoral counseling. Because I'm doing the same thing. I'm devouring the word. I'm living in the means of grace. I'm just a dude who's Jesus. Like Jesus is my friend. Jesus loves me. He hangs out with me. And like being with him 
And then when I go be with other people, I'm listening to their stories. And Jesus, by the Spirit, is helping me connect those stories with other people. And then when I sit down to begin to write a sermon or a talk, just like I'm doing right now, when I sit down, you know what? You're like me. You're totally like me. Now, we're different personalities, different backgrounds, all these different things, different histories. But at our core, we want the same things. We, you want the same things. Like, people want the same things. And the best preachers, I think, personally, I think the best preachers, the best communicators, are people who are the best students of humans. Because then you really know how to make an illustration land. Why? Because it lands on you. Does that make sense? And so then your preaching style becomes way more like you being you. You're not trying to be like someone else. You're just being you. And then, it's, and then when people, when you are comfortable in your own skin, especially in front of teenagers, their hypervigilance goes down. Even if you're like a really stiff person, but it's you, if you're not trying to be cool, they can tell their hypervigilance goes up. Here's a fellow phony person. But if you just own the fact like, yep, here's where I am. I got a minivan. What's up, people? You've got them. You're just being yourself. But you become a student of people because you're a student of yourself. Knowledge of self brings knowledge of God, and knowledge of God brings knowledge of self. Where is that? Calvin's Institutes. Okay. As you think about your life, this is Allender, revisit scenes where you saw redemption and where it was absent. Where great suffering occurred and where non-dramatic routine suffering occurred and where there was peace and where there was resolution as you do this you're recalling the stories of shalom the shalom shattered shalom sought and completion so you're listening you're thinking about your own story your own life you're connecting all those things and then you're connecting to other people's stories and you do this through one-on-one and some of y'all were in there in here yesterday when we talked about uh, yeah yesterday we talked about the presupposition of an individual, the presupposition, this is why you have this, we have this presupposition about individuals and who individuals are, which means every individual matters. Which all, this could, this could liberate us, oh, we all struggle with this, this could liberate, liberate us from the numbers game. Good numbers kind of come and go. What if we were so focused on the quality of our love and our relationship with Christ that we let the numbers be his business? Right? I know that's easier said than done. But doesn't that sound like freedom a little bit? I have to live there or I'll go nuts. Like tonight I have, I have large group. And I'm going to go like, oh, where, where is everybody? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I'm going to worry. I'm going to think about numbers. But like I'm going to go, I'm a human being. I'm worried about numbers. That's okay. I kind of go like, I'm kind of worried about numbers today. I'm, I'm worried about like 60%. Last week was like 80. The week before, like 30%. But here I am. Jesus loves me. And that, what that allows me to do, be present with Carly, who's standing in front of me, who has no friends. Okay. That's the personal aspect. There's a personal aspect, and then there's a people aspect. Because... Your pastoral ministry, that is your ministry to students in the coffee shop and stuff, is completely related to your pulpit ministry. It just, they feed each other. 
And it's completely related to your personal relationship with Christ. And you connecting the big story to your story. So you're asking them questions before you go to the, the final piece, the one you've been waiting for, the practical piece. You're asking questions like, hey, what's, what do you, how do you define the word cool? How do you define cool? What's cool to you? What does cool mean? That, you know, that, that's junior high. That's high school. What's cool? Who's cool? When are we cool? Is everybody cool? Am I cool? I'm not cool? No one's cool? It's really, it, that's what it is. That is what their Instagram feed is ultimately about. Like, am I in? Am I okay? Am I loved? Am I cool? Right? Am I cool because I'm not trying to be cool? I don't care about being cool. Well, that's kind of cool to kind of not care about that. And so am I cool? Yeah, right. So you're, I, here's the thing. How do your students, this is the big thing, and this, you never arrive, how do your students how are they defining and how, what words are they using to, to tell you what really matters to them? Because when you find that, when you get that, that's gold. When you find out how they define power, beauty, and actual words, and you take those words and then you redefine them through the gospel, they're in. They're in. And that's why you can't just take, that's why we believe demographics and things like that are big presuppositions because that's why you can't take what homeboy or homegirls you doing at this church or in this place in this city and you can't just do that here, right? That's the reason because every single one of them really is kind of different. What does it look like for you to do the shattering of shalom, the restoration of shalom in, these, in the lives of these students? I believe that's what faithful ministry is. Now, you've done, you've done your Zenzukh. You're, you're spending time with God. You're, doing, you're living out of the means of grace. You're, the thing, you're wrestling. You're falling flat on your face. You're free to struggle because of our doctrine of justification. And we're growing in sanctification. What do we do when we have to write? Um, like I said, I was a songwriter, am a songwriter, still write songs every Friday with, with some, it's fun, it's great, it's awesome, it's humiliating and wonderful. Um, and so this is, how I, this is how I write a talk. When I'm studying a passage, I, I, I really do look at, I read it. I read, one of my favorite things to do is to read it in maybe three or four different translations, the passages I have. If you have tools for languages, I highly encourage that. Some of y'all have been to seminary. Uh, there are Logos or BibleWorks or different software programs. That's really, really cool to do word studies. All that stuff is great. But one of the things that reading in different translations, are, it helps you really understand, okay, this is what this passage means. Some of some passages are harder to understand as you read context, all those things like that. But the I think honestly the best thing you can do is to read it again 
and again and again and again and read it in the ESV, the NIV, the NKJV, the KJV. Read it in the Amplified Bible and the Message. Read the whole thing. After that's done, because some of them are translations and some of them are commentaries and all those different things, I'm not going to get into that. But after, when it's all said and done, what you're going to realize is this is what it means. Now you establish what it means. That's your sort of exegetical work. You can consult commentaries for technical stuff. You're doing word studies. You're actually, what, what, this is what Puritans used to call the spade work, right? You're getting a shovel down there and you're just digging, right? Some of y'all love that more than others. You're getting in there and you're trying to find out what does this passage mean. You isolate it. But that is, if you just, if you just do that and tell them what it means, that's a Sunday school class. It's not a sermon. Or it's a running commentary. And it's fine. It's wonderful. It's beneficial. It is not a sermon. It's not the same thing. So just sitting there and going like, this is what it means. This is what it means. This is what it means. That is, and I'm saying that historically. Like Martin Lloyd-Jones would back me up on that. And he was verse by verse, word by word. Right? He did not teach just like a commentary. Right? So what do you do? You've got the stuff. Here's the first point, y'all. This is what I do. What is the one thing that this talk is about? What's the one thing? And that is like the chorus or the hook. What is moving, compelling, it's interesting. How do you find the one thing? You listen to real people that are in your ministry. You listen to God. You listen to his word. And here's the thing, you get better at finding the one thing. Because in a passage, there are like 20 things. But you've got to pick one or you're going to lose them and bore them. Uh, as Spurgeon said, mist in the pulpit, fog in the pew. In other words, if you're kind of confused about where this is going, they are totally out. They're not just kind of, con- you've been really confused. You may be confused right now. But have you ever been really, really confused when someone's talking? It's because, the, it's because the teacher is confused. And so finding that one thing and just saying it, and it doesn't have to be, in fact, I would say it needs to be like really plain, and you can either say it in one word, a phrase, or a sentence, but no more. Like be able to identify this is what we're going to talk about tonight from this passage. And you're going to have a couple of you're going to have a couple of people going like, well, you didn't point out this in the passage. I was like, I know I could preach 10 sermons on this. Right? But I preached this. I did this. What is the one thing? This is so like, y'all, this is super, super important. That you find the one thing that you're going to talk about. That you and here's the thing, you own it. I think this is where a lot of sermons go wrong. Talks, I, I'm t- I know, when I say sermons, I'm just saying that's synonymous with talk, right? Whatever you, whatever your tradition does, right? But like, whatever it means for you, if you're doing a Bible study, something, what is the one thing that you're going to talk about? And, and when you first do this, it's really hard to do that for a variety of reasons. One is you want to say all the things that are in the passage. That's not what a sermon is. Does that make sense? And the reason I say that is, especially with your demographic, they can hold, if they leave going one, knowing that one thing, I think you've got them. 
because they're not going to hold three things together. So finding that one thing, what do you do when you find the one thing? You take everything that you've been studying, everything that you've been doing, you turn that one thing into a question, and then you start developing points. And your points are basically you either answering the question, like, tonight we're going to talk about, is God trustworthy? When we're looking at Psalm 46, right? We're looking at uh, Psalm 40, let's say. Is God trustworthy? And one, like, how do we know he's trustworthy? Right? You start, here's what you're doing. You are finding the one thing, and then your points are just, here's, this is the beautiful thing to me. This is the poetry of it. The one thing, which is the hardest thing to do. But your points are just supporting it. And you may have two points, you may have three points, you may have four points. But you're going back to the one thing. And if you've ever heard, heard clear preaching, that's what they're doing. Because it's super clear in the guy's brain. Or the girl's brain. And this is where you get into the, what I would call the verses of the song. Right? First verse, second verse. Your chorus is the hook. Your chorus is what the song's about, and your verses are what are the points that you keep going back to or reinforcing the hook or reinforcing the chorus. But the points have to, they have to come from the passage. You're not just making them up, but you're keeping people in the passage of the Bible. You're finding it where you found it. And it all comes, y'all, with your relationship with Jesus. Because you start getting excited about what they're talking about. And this is where you get into the explained. Let me explain, like, what this means. Like, what, how do we know God's trustworthy? Well, like, I waited patiently for the Lord, and I cried out to him. He heard my voice. He lifted me up out of the miry pit. God, how do we know God's trustworthy? Like, the first thing is, is, like, he hears us. Point one, what do you mean God hears us? God, the creator of the heavens and earth, hears us? How does a God hear me? Why would he even want to hear me? Does that make sense? What's the one thing? And then you explain from this passage, and this is where you use dictionaries, you can commentaries on this kind of stuff. But you explain from this passage the one thing and then the point, and all your, your first point's different than your second point. This is literally how I do it. Generally what I say is, here's one thing. This is what sermon's about. Boom. Let's go. Let's do this. Some of y'all heard me teach, and I go, this is the first thing that we're going to ask, that we're going to say about this, and this is the second thing, and then so what, right? I do a so what. Most of the time I do so what. It's like kind of a formula, but here's a so what. So what is not exegetical. So what's where you're taking all that stuff, and you're just going to town on their hearts. Just like, just no, but your points are just, your points are emphasizing this one point. I mean, your, your, your one thing. And so, one of the questions that people have a lot of time is, okay, we're going to take a break in like two minutes, okay? Illustrations. So you got the one thing, your points are reinforcing or answering the question of the one thing. Then what do I need to do with illustrations? you got to have illustrations, especially you people. you got to have illustrations. But don't overthink it. Don't, don't overdo it. Um... 
I think they should be kind of natural, simple. A forced illustration is weird. It's a weird thing. Um, especially like when you're preaching and you have an illustration like, this reminds me of an illustration. And then they say, read the illustration. If you can't, I, this, is, this is me, I'm, you can't, I can't chapter and verse this, right? But like, if you're in an illustration, if you can't kind of just riff on the illustration a little bit, it's not really natural to you, it's weird. It's kind of weird. Nonetheless, if it's a quote, it's a quote, it's a story kind of thing, like, read it. But like, generally speaking, an illustration should be something that's just like, you know, it's kind of like going to, it's kind of like going to Taco Bell. Like, don't overthink it. And here's how do I develop good illustrations? The first three points. People say, how do you do these illustrations? How do you do those? The first three points. I'm living out of the means of grace and community with my brothers and sisters. And so what happens is you get better at noticing where the little jewels are. Like, oh, that's gold. Like, you get better. Like, oh, that's a good illustration. That's good. My kids and my wife can tell now, like, oh, you're, like, thinking of an illustration right now, aren't you? Like, yes. Because you start realizing, you can kind of start realizing metaphor is wonderful. Right? It's wonderful using metaphor. But, like, we all think and we all kind of do this. Some of us are, are more naturally gifted at metaphor and things like that. But, like, you can all, we all kind of operate that way. So illustrations should be yourself. Don't couple illustrations that are, that are fake and phony. Listen to some good sermons and, like, use their illustrations. You can quote them, all those things, they do that. But, like, listen to people that you like to listen to and listen to how they use illustrations and why you like their illustrations. Resources like movies and music and fiction and poems and conversations and podcasts as you just living your life and reading things. You start looking at things as, like, like I said, potential. Like, and don't be afraid. Here's the thing. If it, if it connects with you as an illustration, use it. Don't be scared. Like, bing bong. Remember the, you remember the movie Inside Out? Like, when I first started my ministry, I wanted to use, like, illustrations for, like, like, this Puritan used this illustration about a lily. Like, I wanted to, like, I wanted to do that. But that wasn't, I'm, I'm from Arkansas. I was born in 75, you know. I, and so I was watching this movie, and so I just used a bing bong. Like, I would never use bing bong. But, like, bing bong's a Christ figure in that movie, people. And when I used it, the kids were like, because the movie had just come out, right? But you start realizing, like, in every good movie, there's a Christ figure. Use it. Use it. Bing bong. Don't be afraid. Because if it's natural to you, it'll come off as natural to them. And listen to other people do it. So you're, you have your one thing. Your points are unpacking your main point, your one thing. And you're learning to, ex, you're ex, just simply explaining the passage to people. You're illustrating in a way that's natural. And then I take a whole point where I drive it home. I'm using the scripture, but this is the point where I kind of leave my notes generally. Where I'll just kind of move from them. How does it affect us? That's a sermon. A commentary is not doing that most of the time. As good as those are. But just explaining a passage is not applying a passage. Personalize it. And how do you personalize it? Someone answer me. 
How do you, per, how do you apply it? How do you personalize it? This is, a, this is what a sermon is, by the way. Taking truth, setting it on fire, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says. How do you personalize it, really drive it home where people take something and, and can actually encounter the Lord? That's it. Here's the thing. You don't have to go to seminary, which seminary is great, and I encourage you to do it. But it really is about your interaction with the word. The spirit inspired the text. The spirit is alive in you. He's applying it to your life. How have you, if you haven't preached the message to yourself, you, you kind of can't preach it to them. That's application. That is what transformative preaching is. It is gospel application to the life of real people in real time. So what? And you connect it back to the main point. One thing, points, illustration, application. One thing, points, illustration, application. It's all about clarity and simplicity. And it's, you know what, it's really hard work to be clear. It's really hard work to be clear and concise. That's the hard work. That's the poetry of preaching. You'll get better at that. It's hard to be clear. Um, I don't know if Mark Twain said that. I don't know. I think it was Mark Twain. He said, um, I didn't have time to write you a short letter, so here's a long one. You hear that? Because it takes time to, like, be concise and say things clearly, right? So, um, so what, do we, what, do, what happens when we get to sort of the, 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 when we start moving towards the delivery part or the, the writing? Before they do that, let's talk about the writing part of the sermon. How do some of y'all write? What do you do when you write your talks? What do you do? What's your practice? What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. So she does like webs, with like a main point with like the things that come off of it. Yeah, that's cool. What else? What, are some of, what, are, what else do y'all do? Yeah. Yep, that's what I do. Kind of an extended outline. Sit down, a, a developed outline where I can kind of see my points. I generally do like four and a half pages. What else do y'all do? There's, this is fun. I like asking this because everyone's is so different. Bullet points? Yeah, bullet points. Does anybody do a manuscript? Sit down and write a manuscript? Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever works with you, whatever's comfortable, whatever works for you, there's no right or wrong way to do that. But I think it is important to, 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 to write something. You know, you'll, Sandy's preaching this week. Like, Comparing yourself like Sandy does this is like saying like LeBron does this, right? We're none of us are LeBron. Like none of us are Sandy, right? So Sandy does like, he has like little bitty, uh, one little sticky note, okay? Don't do that. He gets to do that. Okay. Write it out because that, when you write it out in some form, whether it's a cluster or a web or however you do it, whether it's a manuscript developed outline, when you write it out, you're forcing yourself to be clear, to make your argument. And, and I still do it. I still do it. I've been in ministry 15 years. Some guys stopped doing it. 
Because I think that's when people get off of rabbit trails and you forget your thoughts. Write your stuff out. However it's comfortable to you, but I encourage you to write it out. Write it out. And, like, just go for it. And give yourself a break. Like, some of y'all are, like, perfectionistic. Like, it's not a grade. So, like, do it more. This is my hope that you would do it devotionally. Like, you're writing something to, like, someone you love. Right? Write it out. Like, I really want this. And as you're writing it, you can say things like, God, I really want this to help people. Here's why. He wants, he wants to do that more than you do. And he's pleased to use you as a vehicle to preach. In fact, this is how people come to know Christ and are equipped to serve. Is through teaching the Bible. And so there you are. He loves using you. Right? So just write it out. Now, delivery. Write it out. Print it out. This is what I do. And I, I don't know if I'll... Like, you should all do this or whatever. But, like, what I do is I write it out, I print it out, like, on paper. Some of y'all, I know some of y'all use iPads and all that kind of stuff. That's good. Or whatever your device thing is. Um, but I like to mark on mine. I like to, I like to get, I like to f- touch it and to, to, like, scribble on it and go, that is terrible. I'm not saying that. That's a weird thing to say, or that doesn't make any sense. Or like changing points, getting a marker out, but like feel it. Like I like, that's what I like to do. But get, either way, get familiar with your manuscript. Get it, get it. You know, what Spurgeon says that he doesn't have, a, he never memorized his sermons, but he said he was familiar with the geography of them. Isn't that cool? So like he would make like notes about things, and so he would look at it and kind of know where it was, Right? So get familiar with it. Maybe you have a photographic memory. Maybe you can, like, read stuff. I would encourage you not to read your talks. Not to read them. Every time you look down, they're out. They're gone. They have gone to Quiznos. Right? Or Moe's or something. They're gone. So, like, as much as you can, try to, like, stay with them. Try to, like, but even if you look down, like, I look down, but then, like, Try to make eye contact with them. Be a fellow human on planet Earth with them, right? Um, so learn your stuff. Now, what about delivery? Now, this is going to be so general because you're all different. We all have different personalities. We all have different ways of speaking. So I want to take all that in consideration. Here's what I would say. Breathe. Breathe deeply. When you get up there, breathe, talk to Jesus, invite Jesus with you and say, like, hey, will you stay, look, stay right here with me, right? Talk to Jesus as you're doing it, think about it, but breathe. Your brain needs oxygen, and you're not getting oxygen. You don't even know it. When you get nervous, your breathing gets shallower and shallower, shallower, and so you're not getting the oxygen that you need. And when you don't have the oxygen that you need, your brain gets, goes into fight, flight, or freeze mode, right? And you are, that's what, nervous or panic. Breathe, just breathe. Um, and relax. You know about, more about this passage than 99.9% of your students, if not 100%. You know more than they do about this. God's with you and he loves you. 
And I would say, read the passage. Read the passage. R.C. Sproul said that reading the passage is, is like the majority of preaching. Because that's the word. It's not like, let's read the passage and get through this so you can hear what's in the name. It's like, see the reading of the Bible is engaging them with the word of God. Like, y'all, this, what I, I'm going to say things about this to build a bridge to you to drive it home because I've driven it home to myself. But this word is inspired. This is God's inerrant, infallible word. This is, this is it. This is all the power of God in it. Listen to it. Read it to people. In a sense, like, pressure's off. Like, you're just kind of getting out of the way. Speak up, but don't yell. My first sermon was like a space shuttle that took off and never landed. <laughs> My wife was there. Laura was there. I was at Bellhaven College in, in Jackson, Mississippi. And she said, sweetheart, you yelled the whole time. You yelled the whole time. I was like, what? You were so nervous. You just went like, Whoa! Ah! <laughs> like. And the way you do that is you breathe, but like listen to the sound of your voice. Be yourself. If you're funny, be funny. If you're serious, be serious. If you're a nerd, be a nerd. If you're cool, be cool. If you're laid back or passionate, be yourself. God has you teaching this passage. The be- I remember Brian Hebbick said this. He said that he thinks growing as a pastor and as a preacher is just learning to become comfortable in his own skin. And that's so much of what it is. It's like, hey, this is me. Like, it kind of gives them permission to be themselves. And it's going back to like what you'll hear Stone say, it's justification by faith. Uh, you've been declared righteous. Like, he ain't mad at you. He loves you. You have status, declared righteous. You, you, yep. You don't deserve to be there. Yeah, Jesus says you do. Take it up with Jesus. Right? That, you know, that is what it means to live by grace through faith. Because when, when you're preaching, when you're delivering a sermon, that's where I need justification by faith more than anything. I need to wear it. I need to step into it. Because, I, because, because guess what? Y'all all have to declare me righteous, if not. And I'm dead. Because the sermon will never be good enough. I'd die a thousand deaths. So stepping into that means you breathe, you be you. Think of time, be mindful of time, 25, 30 minutes. Um, based on your demographic, based on your thing. But I, I, I think if you, especially with, with youth, I think if you, gen, if, if you make, a, make a habit of going beyond 35 minutes, then it's a unique situation. I, 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 say, I don't say that to sound unspiritual, but if you, go, if you make a practice of going beyond 35 minutes, it's a, it's a unique situation because the, the attention span that in our demographic is just very short. You can go 35 minutes, but they checked out at 25. Does, does that make sense? Now, they can grow in that, and you have other students that can grow in that, but generally speaking, I would just be thoughtful about time. 25, 30 minutes, I like to think of it as like a TED Talk almost. Um, I'm going to close with this. Because I hope I just, all I did was just sort of 
crack open some doors on how I do my thing. And I hope it was helpful. Here's a closing illustration. Here's what keeps me preaching. So I was 33 when I became a senior pastor of a 2,000-member church. That's bananas, right? I was 33 years old. I didn't want to do it, but like God wanted me to do it, so I did it. I did it for five years. Uh, and now I'm a campus minister. <laughs> That's another story. So how does a guy who's 33 who, like, thought he was in witness relocation when he went to seminary, who, like, just, like, not even that long before that, right, feel like a phony all the time? Phony. They're going to find out. Scared to death. Still struggling with, like, the same stuff y'all are struggling with. I haven't graduated from any of that. Still trying to keep cheese on the cracker. How did I keep getting up there every single Sunday and preaching in this big pulpit? How did I do that? Here's how I did it. The first three things. The big picture became, I grew deeper and deeper. I realized that speed and distance in life was not the answer. God forced me to realize that stillness and depth down into Christ. I've already arrived. He forced me down and to get weaker and weaker and weaker. And like my mentor, discipler guy calls breathing at the bottom of the ocean. Like I'm just, I'm so in over my head. And then you're breathing at the bottom of the ocean. Jesus says, wow. And so you realize that I'm doing the impossible. God loves me. Stillness, not speed and distance. If you have Christ, the best thing that will ever, ever happen to you has already happened to you, my friend. I'll say it again. It ain't out there. It's not in marriage. It's not in promotion. It's not in your version of Shangri-La. The meaning of life was in a manger. And everybody missed it. And so the way I did it is I had to literally just cry out to Jesus and go at Jesus and become. I had to take away my, my big boy-ness, my machismo all of those things so that I could live in Christ and be his child, be his brother, and be his friend. Desperately, desperately, viscerally. And so the way I got up there every single, every single Sunday, sometimes two, two preps, sometimes three preps, bananas. Just writing, having to write sermons, all these things. I began to see myself as a caterer. Yes. You know like caterers at weddings? You don't ever notice them. Why? Because they're wearing like black pants, black Reeboks. Right? And they're just bringing things in. And the people are having the wedding, they're like, these chicken fingers are really good. Bacon stack, maple bacon. This is delicious. And they're just like, mm hmm. You don't ever notice them. And so I realized that's what we are. It was so liberating when I realized all I'm doing is serving up the one. I want it to be delicious and nutritious. I want them to love it, but I'm going to get in my Honda and drive home after this because I'm just a caterer. And you start realizing that John the Baptist really is the prototype when he said, I must decrease him, he must increase. Get out of the way of Jesus. Get in and down with Jesus and then get out of the way and let him do his thing with his people. That helped me keep doing this job. That's why I got to go preach tonight. That's what keep me doing it is because I just love Jesus and I realize that he's pleased to use me. If not, it's all weird celebrity stuff. I'm going to close there. Questions? we got 30 minutes for questions.
Whoa. It's almost like we had talked about this. He did. That is such a great question. And so what he's saying is, how do you not just reinforce the self-centeredness that's like, oh, this is all about me and my feelings and all this stuff, right? This applies to a one-on-one or a small group or a large group. So all avenues of ministry. It is about their relationship with Christ. And, and you're dusting for the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit. Like, oh, that's maybe where he's at work. Look at that. You're in a one-on-one. You're not doing the work. You're seeing where he's at work, right? And so what you're doing is what John the Baptist, again, John the Baptist, I must decrease, he must increase. I can't even tie his, the shoes of his sandals. I must get out of the way. I am just simply telling you about him. It's all about him. That's what you're doing when you're preaching. And so when you're doing application, your whole one point is just a really big application. You're trying to think of how does Jesus, through this one point and this, the, how, through this one main thing and this one point, how does, how does it connect and drive home with these students right here, right now, from this place? And so you're thinking about how to connect it with them. If you just make it about you, right, or just make it about them, you're kind of going in circles. And so you're always thinking about how does the gospel, and this comes because you're steeped in the gospel, how does the gospel relate to bullying? How does the gospel relate to performance-driven things, people? How does the gospel relate to drinking? How does the gospel relate to a million different things? And you're thinking about how to connect that to Jesus, how to connect that to Jesus. You get better at that, but that's, all it, that's what it is. And it's not about you being clever, but it's about you being skilled at trying to find how are they going to deal with Jesus on this. So that allows you to talk about some really hard things. Really hard things. Like I'm at Vanderbilt and I'm talking about all the orthodox Christianity at Vanderbilt. Like, and so I'm getting them to deal with the text of deal with God. Like, you can get mad at him. Yeah, can you believe he said that? Like, right, he said that about that. So the issue then is, do they believe he's the son of God? Then you're getting it. Then they may get converted. Like, I don't, because if, if he's not alive, who cares what he says about anything? But if he is alive, I've got to submit to him sexual, like, I'm, my sexuality. Is that is your question? That's a huge question. Other question. Stephen and then you. What's your name? Lynn. Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. So two things. What's true for what's I don't remember who said this. What is most personal is also most un, most universal. So what you're going to find is their stories is also their his story generally is their story. So like what's specific is also general. And then the second thing is get people to ask like hey tell me one thing is just asking someone, like, hey, tell me, tell me your story. Uh, you know, maybe even help them tell, to tell their story. Um, what are you into? 
what um like personal questions about their fr- like friends like who are you friends with and some of that you earn the right and it's it's i feel honored when people tell me that you know a girl tells me i haven't talked to my dad since i was 18 you know i haven't talked to my dad since i was 18 and the whole first 30 minutes of the conversation, she was like, yes, I'm wonderful, yes, there's my resume. They all talk about their brand, right? This is my, I'm, this is my resume, this is who I am. But then you get this moment, and you're like, tell me about that. What's your relationship like with your dad? Oh, it's fine. I haven't talked to him since I was 18. <laughs> right? So you earn the right to it, and then own the fact, here's what I do. I thank them for telling me that kind of stuff. Thank you. I feel very honored that you would tell me that. You're, you're, that's safe with me. And third, I don't even know if that's a number. I just said third. And thirdly, <laughs> um, word travels. So like you have a dozen good one-on-ones, you'll have 30 good one-on-ones. Because, when, because if you're listening to people and people are connecting, they'll tell their friends. And they'll come see you. If they find out you're safe and that you listen, you, 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 you'll ha- your schedule will be packed. Great question. Other qu- yeah, Lynn. You said Lynn? Okay. Like ministry? Like. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Where do I start? Goodness gracious. Uh, Yeah, oh my goodness. Um, so one of the things that that didn't, that I would say this, when I first was, so I, it was a lot of trial and error when I was first starting out, especially when I had to preach every week. Um, and so I had a lot of sub points. So I had like, I would have a point, and then I would say like this sub point, this sub point. I could go back and look at my notes, and I'm like, whoa, like sub point, sub point, sub point. And then what I noticed is I just got a lot more concise and I said less. But I found out what I wanted to say. Does that make sense? So I think one of the things I really messed up on is I just tried to say too much. And some of it was really good, but it's almost like too much of a good thing. And there's something just exquisite about something really beautiful that's there. Right? You're saying this one thing. You're not crowding it. It's not a, I heard I had a buffet approach when I was preaching. And, like a, it, I, and I went to sort of a simple, like, hipster menu. That's, like on, that's on, like, a, a piece of wood <laughs> with four things. And some sort of, like, this is our version of an old-fashioned. They all have versions of their own old-fashioned, right? <laughs> but they have, like, four things. I think there's something exquisite and beautiful about that. And I think human beings love that, love it. So, like, I just would say too much. And you still can see this. I'm, I just get, ugh. And so, like, that's when you have to write these things out because I can just be like, this is it. So that's, what, that's a huge one. There's so many. One, one I, 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 yeah, sometimes I would try, yeah, there was a lot of things. Yeah, we could talk about that. Um, so what, someone else. Other questions? Tell me your name. Chandler. At Green, in Greenville with Hay Big. Y'all, y'all listen to Brian. Y'all learn to preach? Listen to Brian Hay Big. 
seriously, his pastor, downtown Presbyterian Church, it's a plug for Haybig. He is like who I listen to. I listen to Haybig. Go ahead, Chandler. No, no, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, one is just time. Like, just, you're just going to, your, your ability to express the gospel in a variety of different ways is going to just be, like, how long have you been doing this? Okay. Yeah, so some of, some of it is just time. Um, and preaching different genres is important. So go to, pre- like, if you kind of have something you like to preach and this is what you preach, like, go preach Ecclesiastes. You won't say the same thing. Like, let the text uh, guide you there. Let the Bible guide you because the Bible says the same thing in a million different ways. But they're saying the same thing. That's what, you, that's what Luke 24 is. So, like, t- uh, so your t- choice of text, books of the Bible that you're reading. And then also, like, I would encourage you to be a reader yourself, broad, a broad reader, I would encourage you to watch movies that are appropriate uh, and, and, and Netflix and music and stuff like that, art. I, I think it's important to that. I, I would spend time in nature, like I run trails. Um, we always go to a zoo, whatever city, and my, my wife loves zoos. And like one time I saw a, a superb starling and I just stared at it. Have you ever seen a superb starling? The what in the world? It's like the most beautiful thing ever, and it, it has, like, be a good, like, look at things. Like, really look at stuff. And just become more observant. There's a book called Ordinary Life by Buechner, Frederick Buechner. I think it's called Ordinary Life or The Ordinary or something like that. He talks about just, like, slow down and just look at what you're not looking at. That helps you, like, use language differently and, and illustrations that will pop because they'll pop inside of you first. And just, and honestly, just time. You're going to be all right. Other questions? Those are great. Don't be afraid. We're all friends here. Those are nice. What's the struggle that you've had preaching? What's, what's sort of like, because it's probably someone else's struggle too. Like what is, what is, what is like, what are you, what are you most scared about when you're preaching or teaching? What's the hardest part for you? Where do you get stuck? Yeah, what's your name? Hey, Todd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, one, you just you kind of just know. You get fast. I'm faster than I used to be, but I still love like slow down. Like, um, so you find the one thing better. You kind of figure out what the passage means faster. You get so that's a skill thing. Um, but sometimes, if you haven't had a lot of time to study, because life has come at you, not just because you've been lazy, which is also an issue for all of us, right? We struggle with that. 
And not just because you're phoning it in. I'm just assuming that's not what you're doing, okay? But you struggle with it. But life comes at you, and you've got a lot of things. You married? You married? You have kiddos? Yours, life. Okay, you're married. So there's things like coming at you, and you got to write a talk. Um, if you didn't have a lot of time to, to preach something, um, give them your best, which may be 20 minutes. But don't go 30 minutes, because it'll be bad. Because you don't have 30 minutes of stuff. Does that make sense? And so, like, so get, like it's okay if you didn't have a, a bunch of time, but, like, what is the one thing that you've mined from this? And then be honest and have integrity about it. Like, y'all really want to focus on this one thing. And, um, and, and, and give them that. I, I would rather have a, a 15 or 20 minute good, like one that I can really understand and take home than a 30 minute uh, weird thing. That's what I would say. It's okay. Like, that's okay. Your, your students would be happy for you. Right? Probably. That's a, that's a great question. What's another one? Tina? Do you feel like, yeah, yeah, you just feel like it gets rushed and it's like, it's over. I've already said everything. That's what you feel like? What? Have you ever had any, have you ever had anyone video, have you ever videoed it or listened back to it? That'd be hard. That's one thing that would help. I hate listening to myself. Hey, hate. Because like, I'll listen to it and go like, shut, why are you yelling? Why do you, I, like, you don't, it's almost like a hillbilly. So it's hard to do. Um, that's one thing you do is like go back and listen to yourself and just kind of like say okay I'm going to listen to this um, and then too it sounds like your it sounds like maybe your issue is more about developing your points it may be what you need to do is if you only have 10 minutes of stuff and you're probably not just going you know like a auctioneer like you're probably um, my guess is like, develop something that you, develop what you're wanting to say a little bit, a little bit more. In other words, so when you get to your, you find your one thing, you get to your point, like, don't be afraid to sort of, like, tease it out a little bit more. Or, like, what's, what's something else you could say about that? Or what's, a, what's an illustration you could say about that? It sounds like an issue maybe even more of just developing it and then becoming comfortable with that. But try that. Yeah. Another question. Yes. I, yeah, um, early on, I would really actually practice them. Like, I would always sit there and act like someone was there. But now I kind of mumble them to myself. And, and I'll just sort of keep it, and I'll just sort of, I'll read through them. I'll read through it. And just get, I think it's, you just befriend your manuscript. Just befriend your outline. And so you just sort of get comfortable. It's like, yeah, I'm going to say that. And here, and you start learning kind of the, the ebbs and flows, the rhythms. 
you know, when do you actually need it to, like, really drive this home? Or, um, so I'll just kind of mumble it to myself. And, and I kind of know now, you sort of know when it's like, I kind of have it. I kind of have it, right? kind of got it. It's okay. Good question. Yes, Lynn. Um, it would, you know, one, I would know why do they, if they want to do this, I'd be like, why do you want to do this? Don't do this. I try to talk them out of it a little bit, like initially, because it's like, it's like, and if they keep coming back, like, I really feel like I want to grow in this area. I would give them a very clear, I would give them a very like if it was a student that wanted to speak to his people and they wanted to, I would give them a very clear outline of how to do it. And then I would give them a very low-hanging fruit. Um, my first sermons that I did were to a uh, nursing home. Uh, was at a was at a retirement home. And at one point, everyone was asleep. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I was the only one that was awake. But I did that for two years with another guy in seminary. And so we preached these sermons. And they were so glad we came in there. Except one woman said she hated Presbyterians and she did this. <laughs> I would give them opportunities to like, I would say, hey, talk to the nursery, uh, the children's director. So I'm like, hey, can, ch- can you lead a three-minute thing? I would make it so basic for them to sort of say, I like being in front of people. But give them just a lot of really, like really give them a coloring book on this one. And then to see if it grows from there. I would start them real small. Because if they don't want to do that, they want to do it for a bad reason, probably. Make sense? Like, if you don't want to do it to children, if, do- if you want to do it for orphans and widows, you probably don't need to be doing it. Now, like Francis Schaeffer said, choose the, choose the lowest place. And if God exalts you, brings you up, that's his business. But you choose the lowest place. And so that's what I would say is like, why do you, like, talk to me about this. Let's talk about this. Because they, 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 they may want to do it for a lot of reasons, and that's okay. But they don't, give them, don't give them the opportunity to, like, spew their pride on everyone. That was what I would say. Other, someone had a question over here. Hand up here. Yes. Oh, by them going like. Or, or, yeah, or just like love Baptist people because they don't want to be persecuted. That's what it's like preaching in a broken world. And you've got to be really in union and communion, right, when you go preach. Uh, but you're going to a place because you're going to have all kind of things coming at you distraction, things, sort of, it, all these different, like, what are they thinking? Like, why did you make that face? There's all these different things. And the devil, there's, this is spiritual warfare. The devil's going to use everything to, to accuse you and make you distracted because the last thing he wants is for us to see that he, is for them to see that he is. He doesn't want that to happen. And so I would see that as, like, that's an aspect of the spiritual warfare nature of preaching. That just, like, learning, and just own that. Like, this is a hard thing. Pray about like, that's something specifically to pray about. Like, 
God, I have this student, and it's just like so hard, and like I'm, I have all this shame and anger at him and all these things. Like That's the kind of stuff you talk to Jesus about on Monday and Tuesday because that's kind of the stuff that gets you. And so when, you, when, you, when you've kind of dealt with that with God and with your friends, then you don't go rage on him. Or you don't like do you don't do some weird on him because you've kind of dealt with it in your community. That's a great question. A couple more. Good questions, y'all. Love this. Yes. What's your name? Bobby, I wish I was organized like that. And there are people that are, there are people that have files and all kind of stuff that are just amazing. But I'm 43 and I'm just not, that's not going to happen. And so um, if you can do that, if that's kind of the way God made you, man, that, that is genius. I mean, to organize your illustration. If, y'all can, if you can keep up with your illustrations and know the ones that you used and reused, that would be amazing. How to sort of keep up with that stuff, that's great. But I, I can't do that. In fact, my stuff has to be really fresh. Like to me, it's sort of like something that's happened pretty recently that I'm kind of pumped about. Um, that I want to talk about, right? So most of the time it's just, and then it goes and I never remember it again. And people go, I remember the illustration. I was like, nope, I don't remember that. And I don't. Other, other, a couple more. How do y'all keep up with illustrations? How do y'all find, how about this, how do you find, how do y'all find illustrations? He was dressed, he dressed up like Jim. Yeah. Because Jim had dressed up like Dwight. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. You got to know your audience and like, yeah, it, yeah. You got to just use wit. That's wisdom there. I mean, this is a lot. Y'all have heard some horror stories, I'm sure, and they've even done some of them, like, quoted a show, and they're like, what? You thought you were, you thought it was edgy, and it was like, just, just wildly inappropriate. <laughs> that parent was right for being mad. <laughs> Joel. Seriously, you look like your coat check. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, okay, great question. I think, how, like, you as Joel Hathaway, 
uh, you being yourself, comfortable in your own skin, is kind of universal. So the way you talk, the way you dress, the way you move, all that stuff is universal. And you becoming comfortable in your own skin is the goal. Now, the illustrations you use, the words you use, that stuff is the incarnational part. Um, and, and, and it may be like, it's how do you... How do you contextualize yourself to this group, which shows like, hey, I'm listening to your, I'm listening to the same music. Or how about this? I'm showing that I'm actually listening to you, and I, I, I'm a, actually, I'm a huge fan of Vanderbilt students. I'm fascinated by them, and they know it. And they love that I am. They don't know that I'm doing it so I can, like, completely, like, blow them up sometimes. But, like, I'm not doing it because there's snowflakes but I'm doing it because I can preach the gospel, but I really am fascinated by them. And so I think incarnational means, like, you actually are legitimately intrigued by them and their culture, and you're a student of that culture. And it, it's charming to people when you, like, when you, tr when you say, like, you use their words or you say something about it, even if it's, like, kind of corny, it's charming because, it, like, even trying to be one of them is charming to people, and it endears you to people. So I would say, like, not don't overthink it, but it's about you being a student and kind of nerding out. I mean, kind of being a fanboy of people. Like, this is so awesome. Like, I, you know, talking about these, and just there's like a million different ways of doing that. Does that answer, does that answer your question? Tell me your name. Dennis. Sounds like a little personal history there. <laughs> Just asking for a friend. Uh, thank you, Dennis, and Dennis's friend. Uh, he'll be very good. <laughs> um, okay. I'm really careful when I talk about my kids. If I, I don't say their names ever. But I'll say like my son or my daughter, and I'll, I'll I've, I ask permission now. Um, I'll ask permission. Like, hey, can I tell that story about me? And like, Dad, no, I can't. I don't do that story. Um, and uh, but if they give me permission, it's fine. Don't overdo it. Like sometimes if every illustration is about your kids, I, this is personal. That is snoozeville to me. Like one is okay, but like I'm kind of like too much is just kind of gross, grogy, like. So, like, one, and just think, like, what is it, what's appropriate? Like, use it because it, one is good, three is gross. And, and then ask for permission from it, and then you're, are you married? Okay. Uh, and your friend is too? Uh, your friend. <laughs> um, because your friend, your, your kids are gold. I would pick the best illustration, not like, one good one and three mediocre ones, because then like people think it's gross. But um, your wife is your best, probably probably going to be your best gauge on sort of if you're hitting the bullseye, and she can tell you like I, Laura knows sort of how she can. She knows I'm extremely sensitive and neurotic, and so. She is very, she's tactful in the way she talks to me about it. But if she thinks I kind of like said something that I shouldn't have said, she'll, she'll tell me about it. It's never the day of. 
like just because I feel like very, I'm just raw. And I think early on we would get in fights about that because she was like, you said this and so and so. I was like, whatever, shut up, you ate my guts. Like, uh, and it would just be like, it would, you know, it, and you realize that she just took into consideration that it's hard, it's a hard job and it's weird. And if I did something or something, or she like encourages me, it's just like, hey, you can tell your wife, what's your wife's name? Like tell her, what's your wife's name? Or, yeah, her, her wife. Tell your wife, I would just look at her and say like, I do want feedback. I really do want feedback, but I like, maybe you're someone that can take feedback immediately. Um, but like, hey, can we talk, like, just like, let's, let's think about this. Like, let's debrief this when, I don't, when I'm kind of not so yick about it, right? Because right after it's over, it is just, right after you teach something, y'all know this feeling? It's like the cringe demon. Like, Brian Habig and I actually laugh, we joke about what I call the, uh, the sermon vulture. The sermon vulture, like, all weekend is just flying over you. You just see its wingspan. And if you try to, if you try to take a nap, like, you, like, take a nap, and he's, like, at the edge of the couch, like... It's like, <laughs> this, and you're like throwing the football with your son and his wings like flying over the football. Like, he just is this sermon vulture and sort of learning to befriend the sermon vulture and make him a pet rather than like being at war with him the whole time. It's like, ah, I'm preaching this Sunday. I kind of feel weird about this. Like all of you is united to Jesus, even the part of you that's scared to preach. And even the part of you that after you preach, it feels really weird and you feel very vulnerable. And so just realize that we all feel that way. You get less freaked out for feeling that way. If you don't go like, I'm, when am I going to stop feeling that way? Then you're like, that's, just stop trying. Just, I had a counselor one time, I, I was going to go do RYM one time, and I told him, I told this counselor, like, I want to care 0% about what people think about this sermon. 0%. He was like, that's unrealistic, Richie. I was like, what? I want to care 0%. I want to be totally free and only care what Jesus thinks. He goes, that's a very unrealistic thing to think. And he's like, why don't you just be happy if you care like 60%. 30%. It's kind of like giving yourself, you're a human being that's like sinful and neurotic and insecure and all those things, and God pleases you, and all of you is in union with Jesus. And so like, that, those are the kind of conversations that I have with my wife. Yeah. Okay, y'all. Thank y'all so much. Let me pray. Lord, uh, use the things that were true and good and beautiful, and just erase the things that were of the flesh and of me. And most of all, Holy Spirit, Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, help us love you and root ourselves in you. Help us be still and be deep with you. Help us rest, even tonight, um, as we hear the word. Help me tonight, even as I preach. It's going to be weird, Lord, I know, because I've talked about preaching and now I'm going to preach just help me not be in my head let me be present with my students we ask in Jesus name amen all right see you guys